talk about what happens when everybody who's doing with diesel or gas today converts to electric. Do you really believe electricity is still $100 cheaper when that happens? Because when you put that much demand on it, they have to build more infrastructure. When they have to build more infrastructure, they have to get a return for it. In order to get a return for it, they got to charge more. And so I think there's some real issues out there that, that, that smart people may solve. I'm not saying electrification is not coming. I'm just saying today, the grid is not prepared for even the level of mandated conversion at the passenger car level that's coming down the pipe right now. Welcome to another edition of Just Truck It. Today we have a very special guest. We're very honored to have them on here. We have uh, Mr. Derek Lathers from Warner Enterprises, President and CEO. I know Scylla, you're used to having her here with us. She's not able to make it today, but um, we couldn't miss up this opportunity on having Derek on our show. So Derek, welcome. Glad to see you here. You know, how's everything going? Tell us about yourself. You know, how long you've been in the industry, the industry itself, you know, as far as how you've come up, positions. Tell us all about yourself. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and uh, hopefully we'll have a little fun today and share some information. Maybe somebody out there will find it valuable. But uh, a little bit about me. Uh, so I've been in the industry 31 years now. and have been this a long time. Um, and been through um, a lot of different roles and responsibilities over that time. I've... Uh, so I started my career in dispatch, so you know, really working with drivers in the front line. I've worked in driver safety, driver training, customer service, really put, you know, a variety of roles, but the bulk of my career was in operations. Um, and, uh, you know, from that time, just took on more and more responsibility. Probably the maybe interesting tidbit that most people would know is that I actually lived and worked out of Mexico City for about five years of my life, almost six years uh, of my life. And at one point, uh, for about four and a half of those years, I ran a uh, Mexican trucking company. So I was fully immersed uh, running a domestic Mexico truck company uh, based out of Mexico City. Um, uh, Pre-NAFTA, believe it or not, we're already now to USMCA. So I was pre the original NAFTA, uh, living down there doing that work. Um, but loved it. Loved that experience. So I um, became uh, Chief Operating Officer and President about 15 years ago or so and became CEO about five years ago and uh, Chairman last year. Yeah, yeah, you've been making big moves. So tell me, do you speak any Spanish? I do, I do. I, spoke, I was down there for years, and uh, you don't survive very long without being able to speak Spanish. So uh, the influence in life is off down there. So. Awesome. I'm still trying to. Obviously, my wife's Spanish, and uh, my, my grandmother's uh, Puerto Rican. So uh, I, I've been immersed in it, but uh, never grew to, to, to learning it. I, I can understand. I can speak enough to get me in trouble. But uh, uh, that, that's awesome that you were able. I didn't know that. I wish I would have known that when uh, uh, you, you allowed uh, um, our company uh, onto the CL Lodge up there in Omaha, Nebraska. Amazing place. Because uh, I would have had my wife talk to you in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Well, as I say in Mexico, so you can, you can do it. You just got to put your mind to it. You'll, uh, you'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, hablo inglés un poquito <laughs> very little for me <laughs> all right 
So, um, you know, going back, the reason why, you know, we, I invited you on to, uh, you know, the, this show and, and I was, you know, blessed to hear that you agreed to it was because at the Commercial Vehicle Training Association, um, got to hear a great presentation uh, from you and also Kevin at Swift uh, and Jeff Steinberg over there at Apex, um, talking about certain things that I thought um, drivers need to know and they need to hear it not just for me because you know I, I tell my students all the time and it's like beating down a dead door oh yeah yeah we've heard you say it before but you know what do you know they don't realize that you know I started in you know a, as a truck driver I worked in dispatch just like yourself um, I've also been in charge of director of uh, maintenance safety and recruiting so you know I understand that side but having someone else that's a president of Werner, one of the largest trucking companies in the United States, say the same thing is huge. So um, one thing, though, that's kind of a, a little um, off topic of drivers in the sense of uh, tips and tricks and things to do and not to do um, is a concern that a lot of people have about autonomous vehicles. And, you know, what, it, what role is it going to play in the industry? Um, how is it going to affect drivers? Is, is, should I get into trucking, you know, knowing that, hey, that might come down the pike and there, here I am switching into this industry because my wages decreased or my job let me go. And so I don't want to do that all over again, you know? Tell us your thoughts about the situation. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's first of all, I think it's a, it's a concern that I certainly understand. I mean, it only makes sense if you're turning on the television and thinking about joining a career. Every time you turn around, somebody's talking about autonomous trucks, that it would be concerning. But uh, I think it shouldn't be. I mean, that's the that's the summary statement I'd make. I don't think you should be concerned about it. Um, here's the reality of it. So we're very close to a lot of these autonomous companies. We've even, um, you know, invested in one of those companies. We sit on the advisory board of a couple more. And none of that, none of that is driven by the desire someday to just have a fleet of autonomous trucks. What it is driven by is, I think the quest for autonomy is going to bring us all kinds of additional safety technologies over time to make roadways safer. It's going to be able to, it's going to translate into a lot of driver assist technology. We've already seen it with lane keeping and active braking, collision mitigation devices in general around the truck, things that just really enhance the security of the role as it relates to your personal security and obviously the motoring public. But even if you play out, and, and the, so the story I like to tell is let's take the counter argument for a second. Let's talk about the bullish, the most bullish scenario out there relative to autonomous trucks. And that scenario looks something like this. Sometime in 2025, you'll start to see production level trucks, maybe 2026, out on the road, you know, autonomously moving freight between a certain point from the highway. Um, that will happen in the southwest of the United States, most likely first, because weather, road conditions, all those types of things. Um, even when it happens, these trucks are way too expensive. Um, they're going to be very much needing to be monitored and, and managed and, and sort of in a very measured way as it rolls out. And one thing all of the uh, big uh, autonomous truck uh, companies have in common is they've talked about wanting to do kind of relay networks approach, meaning there's going to be needs for uh, drivers on the front end, needs for drivers on the back end, and really what they're kind of trying to address is the middle mile. But even if they do all of that, and if it goes off on time, and if the regulators decide to go ahead and bless 80,000 pounds going down the road autonomously, which is a whole lot of ifs, if that were to take place and you look at the number of drivers retiring over the next 20 years, 
and you look at what that penetration rate looks like at max production, the bottom line is this. In the next 10 years, we need to hire about a million new drivers into the industry to be able to keep up with demand. Because I think what people forget is that, you know, we, we focus on really booming GDP and then really slow GDP growth or even a recession. But over time, GDP grows at about 2.5%, 2.5% to 3%. Right. Freight, grows, freight grows a little more than whatever GDP grows by. And so over that period, there's a lot more freight that has to get moved. And we're talking about autonomous production that in the, in the early years, you know, it's in the neighborhood of five to maybe 10,000 trucks a year in the most bullish scenario. When you go out 10 years, the most bullish scenario would be that maybe someone in the neighborhood of 40 to 50% of trucks could be produced that way. So you do the math on that, and you think about GDP growth leading to freight trip tonnage growth, and you calculate driver retirements because of the aging demographic and driving. And the bottom line is you need a million more drivers. The other thing that's interesting is people coming into the industry today, and I hate like staring at that in any group because everybody's an individual, right? But, right. But, but, but more often than not, so not everybody, but more often than not, folks coming into the industry today, really would like to see jobs that get them home every night or every other night, multiple times a week. They don't want to necessarily have that job that goes out two to three weeks over the road and gets five days off or six days off, whatever the case may be. Um, that's the job that the people retiring are doing and like doing today. But the ones coming in want to go home every night. Well, right. Thomas is going to lead to a tremendous amount of local jobs, like regional jobs, you know, where yeah. you're running two, three turns a day and going home and watching your kids' baseball game tonight. That, so there's there's some real positives to come out of it. But even in the most bullish scenario, we need a lot more drivers, and we'll need them for the entirety of their career. Because if you think about an average career being 20, 25 years, if you go out 25 years, you're still going to have massive needs for, for driving positions. And, and yes, in 25 years, some larger portion of those needs will be regional and local in nature, but that's great because that fits better with those individuals coming into the industry. And so so I don't mean to cut you off there. There's always going to be a need for someone who wants to go out a couple weeks at a time. Right, right. And I don't mean to cut you off there, but um, you know the, what, I, what I'm hearing from you is some, some really good information in the sense of a better quality of life for a driver. Okay, that's what it's leading to. On top of it, um, you know, right now we have trains, we have airplanes, and they're all running right now on autopilot. But you still see the captain, uh, you know, in that in that airplane uh, running it. So you still got to have someone in there. Of, of course, when, you know, technology fails, you got to have some kind of safety net. You know, you also got insurance issues, liability issues. So you got to have that. If anything, it makes the, the, uh, the drive or the driver... Um, a lot more quality of life in the sense of it's easier, okay? But you still got to have a CDL and you still got to have that expertise. So the pay is still going to be there. Uh, the jobs are still going to be there. It just your job gets easier. Is that is that what I'm hearing? I think that's absolutely right. And it doesn't even help the reality. And we've seen this already on the car side with some of the autopilot systems, whether it's Tesla or somebody else. Somewhere along the way, there's going to be an accident involved. It may not be the truck's fault at all, uh, but there will be accidents because they, those things happen. Um, and when they happen, regulators will do the one thing they, they're good at doing, which is shutting things down. They're not real good at promoting an environment for business growth or for, for tech advancement, but they're very good at shutting things down. So things, there's going to be a lot of fits and starts to this. 
And I, I very well could imagine a world where it's exactly what you described. Maybe the driver's in the truck the entire time, but there are portions of that trip as this technology evolves where they can multitask or do other things as that truck is able to handle sort of the easiest part of the trip. Uh, I think most drivers would say, you know, it's not all that tough to keep between the lines going down the road, but that's the that's a small part of the overall job. Yeah. So it, and it's going to address that part first, and then over time maybe evolve into some other applications. Yeah, and there's always going to be the uh, situations where a lot of the facilities that uh, shippers and receivers have are not going to be conducive to the software and things um, to navigate through that's going to need a pair of human eyes to get out and look and, and understand because things are always moving and the, you know, here's a pallet or a new new uh, uh, there's a truck in the way that wasn't there you know having a way to, to figure that out you know, and and work with that system will be huge um, but even more structural than that sorry I don't want to cut you off no go ahead you know, I always give people who don't believe this story, don't believe the idea that they're going to be rappers in that video and they, they're concerned about it. I always give them a homework assignment. Just, just take one day in your life, just one day in your life, and from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, pay extra close attention to the number of times during the course of the day you encounter either signage or striping or some other issue on the road that absent of being a human being and being able to process something that's went wrong with the signage, Maybe high winds came through and flipped the stop sign around at a three-quarter angle. Maybe they de-striped the road and re-striped the new stripes, but the old stripes are still clearly visible. All that type of stuff is really going to be difficult to, to, to overcome. And there's a lot more of that around us than people realize because we just process it as humans and know exactly what somebody meant to tell us with that signage, even though that's not what the sign says. Oh, yeah. Road construction. Yeah. That's yep. Right. Yep. That, that's a huge one. And and I, I heard a, a wonderful point from you. And and this kind of um, I read an article just actually today, which is hilarious, where this journalist um, took their new uh, uh, autonomous vehicle and, and electric vehicle and took it across country. And in in the whole scope of things, it might have costed them like one hundred and seventy five dollars. Uh, you know, and and um, you know. That paying for the electricity and this trip that they took um you know of course it wasn't completely from one side to the other it was it was a it would have been like 275 so there's savings of 100 bucks however the uh, the the time that they lost charging and waiting for things to work because the electrical cords were broken or the nozzle was broken or there wasn't a fast charger or there wasn't enough charging ports or things like that really made it frustrating and was not worth it in the stress uh, the journalist you know, wrote um, in regards to the savings on the other side. I would have gladly have paid a hundred bucks to have a more seamless transition you know, than the way it went. And you put a, a, a great thing out about the electrical grid um, with, with the city that I, it just blew my mind because I didn't realize it. So uh, refresh us again. Yeah, so I mean, I think the infrastructure, the grid of the United States is a heck of a lot weaker and more fragile than the average uh, uh, citizen really understands. I mean, it barely is keeping pace with GDP growth and economic growth and all the demands on the grid. And so we went through an exercise. We built a large state-of-the-art facility in Joliet, Illinois. And as part of that, I wanted to make sure if we're going to throw 40 acres of concrete on the ground, let's make sure we plumb it for everything both today but also future needs. So part of that was figuring out what would 10 or 15 superchargers look like and how would we plumb for it in advance. 
And to do that, you needed a bunch of engineers involved. And then we, of course, had to reach out to the city of Joliet to talk to them about their power producing capabilities. So when we sent the final specs over from the engineers to the city of Joliet, they looked at it and said, hey, there's got to be an error in these calculations. Now remember, this was for 15 superchargers in a facility that has 500 plus vehicles come through it daily. It was only 15 superchargers. And they got back to us. We had the math rechecked. We sent it off to some actual uh, uh, electric, electric uh, truck makers to make sure they validated and agreed with the math, sent it back to Joliet. They said, well, that's more power than we make for the whole city of Joliet. And so it is a much bigger, it's not a minor problem, it's a major problem. And then that doesn't account for, back to your, your article you read, nobody seems to want to talk about what happens when everybody who's doing with diesel or gas today converts to electric. Do you really believe electricity is still $100 cheaper when that happens? Because when you put that much demand on it, they have to build more infrastructure. When they have to build more infrastructure, they have to get a return for it. In order to get a return for it, they got to charge more. And so I think there's some real issues out there that, that, that smart people may solve. I'm not saying electrification is not coming. I'm just saying today, the grid is not prepared for even the level of mandated conversion at the passenger car level that's coming down the pipe right now. Right. It's not going to be able to support it. They're going to have to figure out a way to do, to, to do better. And that doesn't even account or bring into the, the conversation the fact that a lot of that electricity is still made by burning coal. And everybody kind of ignores that reality as well. So there's there's real stuff out there that's kind of got to get figured out all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the funniest one I've seen where uh, there was a, a, a charging port uh, you know, station and it was ran by a diesel generator, you know. <laughs> so there was still diesel fuel being burned in order to create that electricity. So, you know, obviously, uh, you know, like, like you just said, the grid is not ready. You know, uh, infrastructure. I mean, heck, we can't go down the road in any city without there being road construction. Um, you know, getting, you know, the, the roads, you know, taken care of and the, the whole infrastructure is going to be a huge undertaking over the next few years. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But now, you know, I, I appreciate you, your insight on this. You know, um, I want to switch it over more to drivers. Um, we, we see in uh, drivers. Now, I work with a lot of uh, student drivers that have you know, graduated, got their CDLs and moving on to other jobs. Um, obviously, some companies require at least two years experience or more or less. Um, and then some companies will hire, you know, new students like your, your company at Werner. Um, but I've always tried to instill into everybody that whenever you go in this industry, when you first start out, whatever decision you made, and I, I know there's so many, you know, job opportunities out there and it becomes this feeling of like, okay, well, I'm needed. There's all these jobs out there. If I don't like it, I'll switch and go to the next. But I remember being in charge of recruiting for a company that hired two years experience or more only. And that was one thing we looked at was how many jobs did they have? How long did they have them? And if they didn't fit in our mold, uh, we, we totally skipped over them. It could have been great safety rating and everything. It just didn't fit for that company in the sense of we had a good product in the sense of pay and everything. Um, and it was also mostly local. Why put someone in there that's going to you know leave us in a, in a month or two and then have to rehire again? Um, you know, so that was that was always a huge. So I always tell everybody, hey, you're going to need to stick it out at least six months to a year. I, I, I really urge a year at your first company uh, because the grass is not always greener on the other side. 
and you're going to realize it. And there's also a, a cost there in the wages where you lose wages and then, you know, uh, find out, you know, on the other side, it's the same thing. All you're doing is changing the people's faces. Uh, tell us your insight on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, first and foremost, I, I think if you start a job, and by the way, I'm not saying if you start a job at Warner, I'm saying you start a job anywhere, including my competitors. If you go to that company, you know, have the mindset that I'm building a resume, I'm building something of great value for my future and for my family. And, and that starts by whatever you do, give that organization six months. Give them six months for you to get the kinks worked out of your side of the equation, for them to get the kinks worked out of their side of the equation, because maybe there's something unique about you. Maybe your needs are different than other than anybody they've ever hired before. And give it the, that time to kind of develop. The worst case scenario is six months in, you say, okay, this is still not for me. It's not what I thought it was. And I want to do something different. And guess what? you now a driver that's got six months experience. You know what you're doing. You've, you've figured out a lot of the safety and other aspects of truck driving, but also some of the operational realities of a truck driver, a professional truck driver. And you're going to be very, very valuable. By contrast, if you go in and after the first time something didn't go right, you quit. You end up on the sideline. Even if you have a job waiting for you, you're still sidelined for a week, maybe two weeks. Bare minimum, your income's down, if not zero, for that time frame. Then you get into that new company. you got to learn their processes and where all their expectations. Um, and, and, and you're almost guaranteeing a self-fulfilling prophecy of, 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 of not liking the industry and the job. Um, nobody starts a job, whether it's driving or office or anything else, and thinks within the first you know, month, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Some might like it more than they thought. Some might like it a lot less, but it's never exactly what you thought. But give it time to settle in so you know what it is that you actually like or dislike. Uh, and it's going to be way better for you. And, and, and I think about it like people, six months commitment to make myself that much more valuable is worth it. The last that I'll share with you is our single largest population of drivers at Warner Enterprises each week are rehires. Uh, so we so so the point is they come they think this isn't what they thought wanted or whatever they leave and they come back and then when they come back the second time um, you know they stay and so the point being uh, that's a shameless plug for our company because I think it speaks highly of that grass was not greener and they wanted to come back but I'll just say it broad more broadly than that as an industry we ought to all have more stick to this for that first six months because I think you're going to be in a lot better position. Yeah, and a lot of drivers I think don't understand that when you when you first get on a fleet um, and and you're driving there, your dispatcher has to learn you. They have to learn your habits and everything. And and people don't think of it as a business in the sense of if it was their business, if it was my business, would I give a brand new guy my best contracts, knowing that it could really you know, complicate things and made me lose that contract possibly. And that's my best business. Or should I give them some of the other business that, you know, it, Hey, there's a little bit of leeway on it. Okay. And yeah, you might not get as much miles and things like that, but I need to learn you. I need to learn what you're capable of, how good you're going to be. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, uh, and I always put this out there. If you look at in the industry, if you go to McDonald's and you have a bad sandwich, and they made it wrong and they, they did something bad, they found a hair in it or whatever it could be. When you write a review, you're writing it as a customer. 
when we look at reviews for trucking companies, notice they're all like three stars, every single one. They're all in the same area. What you don't realize is that's all by employees, not customers, because you get you get awards from customers. Uh, you know, these reviews, a lot of times, a lot of people don't realize that employee, 90% of not more of the time, it was because of them. You know, it, it, there was an issue where they weren't leaving home on time. They weren't, they weren't running the way they should have. So they're not getting the miles. They're not communicating. And, you know, then they are going to have, oh, I didn't get this pay or I did you know, it, it's, it's, it's uh, self-inflicted wounds, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason, like, if you look at a fleet like Warner, people like to say, you know, as an example of their own new drivers, but yet our driver, the portion of our drivers that have over 10 years driving experience only at Warner, so not even counting their other experience that they may have outside of Warner, is now up in that 1700 truck range. That fleet by itself would be a top 20 fleet. That, you know, it's really bumping. It's on the, knocking on the door of being a top 10 fleet by itself. So they didn't stay here for over a decade just to be nice to Warner. They stayed because they realized that what we're doing here is real. What we tell them is real. Uh, but you've got to give it an opportunity because it, just like, by the way, the person who maybe doesn't leave out the house on time and has all these struggles early in their career, they didn't wake up saying, how can I do this job shitty? They didn't do that. They, 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 they might have they might have made some mistakes, but it was not intentional. Right. Just like nobody in the office woke up ever, ever and said, how can I make a driver's job tough today? How can I let them hang them out to drive today? Things happen. Shippers change appointments. Consumers change appointments. They cancel loads after you're already there. All those things happen. As you get some skills and reps, you learn how to deal with that. You learn that we're going to make sure and make that up and make that okay. We have all kinds of opportunities to, to make sure your pay is solid. And, and the industry overall is going more and more. And we are very convinced that kind of guaranteed minimum pays so that no matter what, if things go wrong, you're still going to make a good living. But if things go right, you're going to make a ton of money. And yeah. so we want to have more and more of that as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th those are great points because, uh, you know, going back, you know, people just don't realize the other side. I'm, I mean, in dispatch, I heard it all the time. The dispatchers would say, oh, these drivers, they don't know what they're doing. And then as a driver, though, these dispatchers don't know what they're doing. But, you know, nobody is going, uh, you know, to, to think that the other person is good at their job unless they took a minute to reflect and understand or, uh, you know, understand what that other person does, that perception, you know. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of, of the industry to get them from A to B that is very difficult. And so is for the driver the job because, it, you know, hey, I just can't answer that phone exactly right now because I'm on an area that, hey, I can't even pull over. You know, so, yeah. you know, on both sides, you know, that's the that's the, the thing that, you know, both are learning through as we grow uh, as the industry and, and get more advanced, uh, start to realize that. And, uh, you know, obviously it'll get better. But those are those are the things um, that that could cause some of those issues and, and stuff like that. Um, also, going back to, you know, reviews and things, you know, no, no nobody that that enjoys something. And it's very good. They're so intent about doing their job and they're enjoying their job to, to sometimes leave a review. It's always the ones <laughs> that are sour, you know, uh, and usually those, like I said, are the ones that did it to themselves. I see it all the time, especially if you read the comments, you're like, oh, come on. You're not even supposed to do that. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I say all the time, bad news has an echo. You know, 
really yeah. good news early death. People don't tend to engage much on good news, but they love to engage if it's something that they're very frustrated about. You know, my advice on this whole topic is, you know, make sure you always own your own career. Don't ever, don't ever abdicate the responsibility. Own your own career, but be clear about your expectations both ways. Yeah. There's no better exercise in that first week of employment than having a very clear expectation exchange with your dispatcher. You know, what drives you? What's your motivation? How many kids you have? What, what matters to you? Do you have any important dates coming up in the next six months right now that we need to be talking about? So we're both on the same page. But if you don't say anything, people don't know anything. And so they don't know what's going on. They need to be asking. Make no mistake. But but never leave it to someone else to ask. Make sure oh, yeah. you're having that kind of clear expectation exchange. Obviously, you're married. I mean, because it's, it's a relationship. You know, that's what it that's is. Right. And, and right. communication goes both ways but you know if you're not getting you got to give it you know sometimes it's it's 100 percent. you can't give 50 50 because then it's like okay well i did 50 percent. where's your 50 percent? i got to give it 100 on both sides because you never know uh each person is going to have that bad day where they can't give 100 but if you're giving 100 it makes up for it it's a relationship and you got to have right. that with your dispatch yeah you know it's interesting i read an article last week about relationships about marriage and I think it's very fitting for what we're talking about here. It said that this particular person was saying the problem people make in a marriage is they don't, when they're looking for their, their future soulmate, they focus on people or somebody that they get along with really well. But what you really ought to focus on is somebody that you can argue with very well. Somebody who you can have arguments with and not take it personal. Somebody who you can have arguments and disagreements with and you're both willing to listen and compromise. And that's something that'll last. So if you translate that into the driver job, it's not about we needing to be best buddies. It's our ability to trust one another to resolve issues when they happen and respect one another's position. And so you should be able to have that healthy debate with your dispatcher or management or me as the CEO. But as long as we're doing it in a healthy way, we're going to work our tails off to resolve it. By contrast, if you're just a yeller and screamer and overly emotional and everything else, that doesn't really end well for any of you. It's just a bad outcome. So... You know, I just think it was it was an interesting thought by this particular uh, person in the article, but that makes a lot of sense. Being able to argue well and effectively and feeling the, the, the respect that the person's going to listen and respond is actually more important than being best buddies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I can definitely agree with that 100%. And my wife was here. She slapped me upside the head and goes, see, I told you. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, going back to everything we're talking here, since we're talking about jobs and, and wages and things like that, uh, a little side topic here. Um, tell me, what's your view on sign-on bonuses versus performance bonuses? And then let's get into kind of, uh, the, 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 the past, the way drivers have been paid, it was pretty consistent over a long period of time, 10 plus years. It was about, it may change a penny here or there, but in the last three years, it's changed astronomically. Do you see that keep going? Do you see it to keep changing? What, what's your take on that? Uh, continue. Yeah, I mean, so, so first off, you know, sign-on bonuses, I'm not a huge fan because I think we create the same sort of game of musical chairs that we're here telling drivers is not in their best interest. And yet companies create it by setting these sign-on bonuses up there and making them look attractive. They're almost always extended payouts with lots of different clauses and, and uh, you know, kind of requirements that have to be met to get them. And I would, I would, I'm personally a believer in something that's a lot more uh, guaranteed and earned than that, which is 
that I talked earlier about guaranteed minimum weeklies. So I love the idea of saying to somebody that's coming into the fleet, look, you're going to make some mistakes early on. Uh, how we might make some mistakes too as we get to know you and get used to your abilities and everything else. What we ought not do is have you be the one that suffers from a financial perspective during that learning phase. So the way we're going to address that is this job has the potential to pay $75,000 a year, let's say, or $85,000 a year. But there's no reason that there shouldn't be a guaranteed meet weekly on that job of $1,000 a week. So that no matter what, in those early days when you're struggling, you're still going to make 1000 bucks a week. And then any week you don't need that minimum, then it doesn't come into play. So you, you can only make up from there, but not below that. I think that is a very effective tool to, to give people what they really want, which is stability. Because it's ironic, the least stable earnings of a driver are the first three months. And the biggest expense for a driver is the first three months because they're equipping their truck, they're buying gadgets, and frankly, they're probably not yet financially minded enough to control their expenses over the road. And so those two things go against each other. And most importantly, the first three months are the first chance for the driver, whether it's male or female, to prove to their spouse that I'm going to make a bunch of money by making, by making this career choice. And if they don't make it, they get all kinds of pressure from the home front. So we want to make sure and smooth that ride out wherever we possibly can and give folks more guaranteed income uh, at the beginning. And then over time, let them earn up from there. As far as wages, yeah, they've went up a ton in the last couple of years. You know, I was just looking within our dedicated fleets. You know, we have a couple hundred different fleets and dedicated. And, you know, over 50% of the drivers in the very first year will make over $75,000 uh, in the first year in that fleet. And in dedicated, that's basically more often than not also keeping you in a region and getting you home all the time. Like maybe not nightly, but a lot of times it is, but certainly multiple times a week. So these are really good paying jobs with really good lifestyles to go with them. And then once you're on that account for a year or two, we have drivers all over the place that are making 90, 95. And, and, and this past year, over 100 drivers were bumping that $100,000 threshold or greater. So that's take-home money, not, not, not gross income as an owner-operator where I got to pay a bunch of expenses. That's my money that I'm making that's going into my bank account. These are really good paying jobs. I think over the next few years, the battlefield will be more on lifestyle. I think we've got to, you know, we've got to keep pace with inflation and make sure drivers are kept whole. But we've got to continue to drive lifestyle into the job and make it a better and better living experience. And that's where our focus is going to be anyway. I I, I completely agree. I, I know had uh, individuals, you know, in the industry come up with guaranteed pay a lot sooner, um, there would be a lot more drivers in the industry than there is currently because I've, I know over the years, I've seen plenty of them that I know personally that, Hey, you know, they got into it. They, they, they made some bad decisions. Uh, the company made some mistakes and things happen. They're learning each other. And, and, and they're like, I'm, I'm making less money than I was in training, you know, and now I'm, I'm a full fledged driver. I can't, I can't keep doing this. Um, but I got this retention bonus hanging out there that, you know, I can't even get to unless I've been here for six months or a year or longer. So that, you know, switching that up and giving them guaranteed pay for those problems and issues, because, you know, there's going to be times where equipment fails, you know, we see it all the time. Um, it's not the driver's fault that the equipment failed. They were doing their pre-trips and things like that, you know, but things go wrong. And at the moment there was not another truck or something to give to them. So they lost two or three days right there of work 
for nothing out of their their own you know uh, issues and, and making up for that keeps them understanding that you got their back and that's, that's huge right. that's huge yeah and, and only because you brought it up i'll just throw this out there for your listeners but you know on the equipment maintenance front because that that can be very painful from an income perspective how much money you make you know, don't think about your pre-trips and post-trips as some DOT requirement. Think about it as a way to guarantee my money, your money, not the company's money, your money. Because what we know for a fact is with thousands of drivers out there over the road, drivers in our fleet, for instance, that have greater than five years experience, they're operating, their maintenance cost per mile is half what the same exact driver uh, or, or, or the, the, the experience of somebody who's less than one year. And yet our trucks are all, our average age of our whole fleet's two years old. So these are all new, new or newish trucks. But the difference between the two groups is that second group understands, probably unfortunately through painful lessons and breakdowns, the role they play in monitoring that equipment, making sure and keeping that equipment written up. If it has issues, get it in front of a shop, make sure that shop is going to proactively address that issue, not reactively address it on the side of the road. And so, again, control your own career. Take the pre-trip, post-trip stuff very seriously because you can save yourself an awful lot of heartache. I'm not even asking you to do it for the company. I'm saying doing it for yourself because it's your money that you can make more of if you're out there running, even with guaranteed minimums. I don't want the minimum to come into play. I want you to make a lot more than that. Right, right, a thousand percent uh, uh, accurate. You know, there was there, in running maintenance, I, got, I had to take road calls all the time, and it was hilarious. You know, going, hey, okay, so I got this uh, flat or blowout. Okay, where are you? Okay, well, you only made it seven miles from the truck stop, and you just started. Right. So why didn't you see this issue before you left? Now you got to wait on a road crew and that road crew, you know, obviously they're working inside the shop and they got to finish whatever they're doing. Then they got to send that person out there. Sometimes you got to come back and get more materials and go back out there. And, and that there's also the service call charge is more expensive. And then, you know, it, four hours later, they're finally back on the road. When, if they had caught that on their post trip or pre trip, they could have got it done and not started their clock and not worked into their own pay. A hundred percent accurate. That's right. That's right. So, you know, going away, uh, as we go away from talking about some drivers, uh, any tips or tricks, uh, that you have for drivers? Well, I think the big thing is, is what we've talked about several of them, but, but you know, making sure that as you come into the industry, you have a realistic perception of the job you can be doing. Have very detailed conversations with the recruiter that you've now narrowed down on. I, I, one of the things we've seen a lot of is drivers talk to four or five recruiters. So under no circumstance am I saying that they are purposefully uh, you know, lying when they say my recruiter told me X, Y, or Z. No, they just they get confused them. and they pull it from the different. Uh, uh, that sound really awesome, and that was, uh, so the, the company I want to go for those two things must be how it is. But I forgot that that the other other person told me. Yeah, that's right. And we see it all the time. And so they combine a job in their mind that's a piece of five different recruiters' pitches, but that job doesn't actually exist. So once you narrow it in on the company, and you should think about the company, in my opinion, well beyond that job, but just who's, who's going to be financially strong, who's going to be there decades and up in the future, not just next week. And, and what, what kind of company is forward-leaning on really good equipment and lifestyle-focused and all those things? Once you figure that out, make sure you then have that very detailed conversation with that recruiter. 
And once you accept that job, just to understand back to expectations, what job it is you're taking, what you're going to be doing, and how's it going to work. And then when possible, you know, the beauty of a large fleet, whether it's one or some other large fleet, is that, like in our case, I just mentioned 200 dedicated accounts. So you can take a job at Warner, decide, man, this doesn't quite feel like what I thought it was or what I wanted to do. But before you leave, you don't have to leave the company. There's 200 other jobs out there, 200 other fleets out there within the company you already had. So make that known. Express that interest. Let's see if we can't find a better match. Because it's a lot better for you, and it is a lot better for the company, too, of course. But both parties benefit if you take that approach. Absolutely. So managing expectations. I'm huge on that. Because it, you could have this expectation in your head. And the first, I, I see it was with, with students driving. They expect that they should be able to do this within this period of time. And then when that doesn't happen, then you just see them go down fast. Um, and, and I think, you know, understanding that, hey, this is expectation. If your expectation is wrong, then you're going to end up, you know, having a very difficult time and you may, you know, may quit. But ha getting a proper expectation that is realistic is, is huge. It's very huge. And then here we will go back to communication, <laughs> talking, figuring that out with that recruiter, double checking, making sure that all that's correct, going back over those notes, because it, it, it is you are 100 percent right that. Uh, there's so much information and and they're taking this all in so quickly. And, you know, that's why the, this is the point of the podcast the, of having this is because there's so much information out there. It's easy to get inundated in a way and, and not understand things or confuse yourself on them. And so like, getting proper information and good information is huge. Uh, you know, for, for each individual, because there, there's five, five, 10, 20 different companies wanting to hire that person. You're going to get confused completely, just like coming into school and learning. Uh, I'm trying to learn all this stuff in pre-trip, which is like five pages long, <laughs> trying to understand that in a period of time. I'm just so confused. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's very easy. Very, very easy. The other, the other tricks or, or, or thoughts I would say, uh, or tips, uh, I should say, is you know, when you look and you're coming out of school, we, we hear this a lot. Like, well, why do I want to go to a fleet that's going to make me go out with a leader now for three to five weeks? Now, in our case, it's probably closer to three to four weeks. Um, but you've got to realize, when you go to school, you learn how to drive a truck. When you come to the fleet, you learn how to be a truck driver. And those are two totally different things. So you, nobody is questioning your ability to drive a truck. You have a CDL. You've proven that you can drive a truck. But now go out with a leader and learn how to be a truck driver. Because that leader, if they're doing their job right, is going to talk, obviously help you refine your skills a little further. But they're also going to be talking about being a like a truck driver. How do they handle paperwork? How do they handle the, 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 the onboard computer and messaging with dispatch? How do they handle expectations about time off? There's a whole lot of things you don't yet know. And that's what that finishing program is all about. Because it doesn't make sense to turn you loose just because you can drive and think that means you're a truck driver. Two different issues. You want to be a successful career, you got to manage your money, finances, dispatch, expectations, all this other stuff, which can seem overwhelming, but it's not at all. Once you go out spend some time, in our case, with what we refer to as our driver leaders, because they're going to help you get acclimated to all of the above. So I would never want to pick my company based on how quickly they're going to turn me loose. Because that may sound good in the short term, but in the long term, that's a bad deal. Absolutely. Because, uh, and, and I always give the analogy of we're building a house. 
you know, the truck driving school is we're just building a good, solid foundation. We're just pouring the concrete. <laughs> That's all we're doing. Uh, when you get into your, your company, you're actually finishing the house. You're, you're putting electrical in, the plumbing, you're putting the roof on, you're putting the drywall in, you know, you're putting the finish into, and as you progress in, in your life, uh, and you've, you get six months in, now you've decorated and painted and done all the aesthetically pleasing things to create this, this, this CDL, this job house, you know, uh, because you're not going to have a house right out of school. It's not going to happen. You're not prepared or ready for that. That's a great analogy. And if we carry that forward a little bit, who's ever moved into a house that they love day one? Nobody. But they don't go move again yeah. because they don't work day one. They <laughs> stay and they go ahead and fix and work and invest some time and sometimes some sweat equity yeah. into making it better. And when they when they come out the other side, you, whether it's two weeks worth of work they got to do to get it into shape or whether it's six months, when they come out the other side, they're damn proud of what they've accomplished. Oh, yeah. Same thing with the job. Same thing with the job. You know, put the time in to get comfortable in that space before you go jump into another company because it's just not doing anybody any good. It's not good for the industry. It's not good for the company, but it's certainly not good for the driver. No, no, no. And they don't realize it's just hurting because as all of this is reported on obviously you know DAC reports and background checks and everything like that so you know every it, it, the company's going to know how many companies you worked at and when they see the same you know two months you didn't give anybody a chance they realize that you're not going to give them a chance the first time that something goes wrong and i've always firmly believed this hey you can't control in life what happens things happen but what you can control is your reaction to it Okay. Right. And so with a company, you know, I've, I've heard it all the time with uh, trainers and students where they've quit because of the trainer and well, you never gave the company an opportunity to fix the problem and it's not the company's fault. Okay. That, that was something it's, we're doing with human aspects. You know, you didn't get along with the person. It is what it is. But I've, I've actually seen the most hilarious situation where a guy uh, quit because of the trainer. Okay. Went to another company. Now he complained about the trainer at that company and ended up the, tra uh, the the company found he was not, you know, training people right. So he quit that, the trainer quit as well. And then of course, like you had said earlier, you got to go through a period of you're on the sidelines and then you got to go back through orientation. They get back through and they, they get at the same company and wind up being at the same company. And because he didn't have enough experience and this guy was a trainer at another company, they made him his trainer. You can't make it up. It's such a small world. I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, oh my goodness. See, this is why I told you in the beginning, communicate with your company. That's right. That's absolutely right. And we take that communication very seriously. Yeah. Very seriously. When we hear somebody talking about uh, a, a driver leader that's doing things different than what we want to see, we're going to bring that person in. We're going to talk to them. You know, we're going to immediately try to understand, can we fix it? Is it not fixable? And if it's not fixable, then that person won't be training anymore. Right. But we'll have that conversation because they deserve their day in court too. They deserve to be able to express what their opinion is of the same issue and what really happened from their point of view. Yeah, and getting them to understand the perception on both sides and they might work it out. You never know. But that's your reaction to it and that's that's what you can control. And and, and the, these drivers can control their reaction and that's that's needed as well. Now, you know, going away from that and as we conclude here and, and we've had a wealth of knowledge on this podcast here, uh, I, I want to talk about, because you, you deal with a lot of information that comes in um, about the industry itself in all aspects. 
what do you see about our current state of the industry and where it is going? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, the industry's obviously been very, very strong over the last couple of years. There's been so much product being purchased in this country as people were kind of sheltered at home or on the various versions of lockdown and they really weren't spending any money on services like concerts and baseball games. So all that money was going into buying more and more stuff. And we're in the business of moving stuff. So it's been great for trucking. I think today, as we sit here, we've got to be a little careful or at least cautious about the reality that, you know, inflation's real. I mean, the inflationary effect is real. And stuff's getting more expensive, so people buy less of it. Things are becoming more open, so they're going more to services. And so I think you got to really make sure that you that, that just because over the last year there was a job around every corner, that may not be the case, you know, in six months. Meaning there'll be trucking jobs for quality, professional, dedicated truck drivers who want to do the job right. But someone who's jumped around a bunch is going to find themselves when the music stops, maybe without a chair. So you want to be careful with that. Uh, in general, I think the economy is going to get through this better than most people do. But I think no matter how you slice it, we're still dropping from 6% GDP growth to something that's going to look a lot more like 2%, which is pretty close to normalized levels. But that's a shock to the system. Yeah. Great. Especially with the diesel prices right now. A lot of companies uh, were started. Uh, by individuals, you know, when everything is going great. And of course, when it's going great, you're putting back in your business and, you, and you're, you're buying more equipment and things like that. And then, hey, all of these diesel prices, you weren't prepared for that. You know, that that's that's what house, you know, it, and we see it, we go, it goes up and down like a roller coaster. We have your moments where the smaller companies close down um, and then, hey, things go good again. You see them open them back up, you know, um, and that's where, you know, the, the industry is continuously fluctuating. Uh, I, I like the insight about the GDP. That's 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 a wealth of knowledge right there. Yeah, it's a cyclical business. It's always been one. So we saw a record number, to your point, a record number of new DOT registrations in the last 12 months. And unfortunately, as that was happening and playing out, which is mostly single operators or maybe two or three truck owner operated fleets, my fear all along was those rates, those, those spot market rates were not sustainable. They were not going to stay where they were. And yet those folks went out and bought trucks that were at all-time high prices and trailers at all-time high prices. Now spot rates went down by 30%. Fuels went up at the same time by 40%. It's a troubling situation. And so, um, you know, the idea of driving for a large, well-capitalized fleet looks pretty darn attractive right now. And we're seeing that with experienced driver applicants. Uh, we've been setting new records every week with the number of experienced drivers applying to places like Warner because we have jobs, we're growing, and we're going to be able to weather this storm. Right. But there is there is a bit of rough water ahead of us, I think, for the next six months. Uh, but this ship's built for it. We'll be just fine. Good. Yeah, I mean, that that's where the key comes from. Protect your safety record. Protect your background record. Protect your job history record. Do your job and do it well and make yourself a commodity that, um, you know, I, I heard someone uh, state is something like, um, do your job so well that that everybody wants you. You could yeah, be right. a, a, you could be a, a lowly, uh, you know, person at the totem pole or whatever you do, make it to where you do such a good job at that, that everybody knows your name and they want you to work for them, you know, and that, that's the key to it. Um, now, off of all of this. I don't think uh, personally a lot of people know that you are a surfer. You're a wake surfer, right? I am a wake surfer. I love the wake surf. Yeah. Matter of fact, I was out uh, this weekend doing some of that. Okay. So, okay. You do any tricks? Yeah. You got any tricks down? 
I don't have a lot of tricks other than I, I can uh, I can get off the back of the boat without getting wet and surf back into the boat without getting wet. Hey, now that's a real good skill, especially as you get older. <laughs> right, especially as the water gets colder in early spring. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, I, I do appreciate you coming on here. Um, this is this is I feel it was a was a great wealth of information. Uh, we always you know it's always a pleasure to see you and talk to you. Um, make sure you guys click like and subscribe. Watch you know all of these. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, uh, the podcast, and you can listen to it or you can watch us here on YouTube. Uh, but thanks you for tuning in and stay tuned to our next episode.